0: On may tenth, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time.
1: to my village. I know where they're taking your clan.
0: Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, only in theaters May tenth. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG thirteen. Some material may be inappropriate for children under thirteen.
3: I got a call in the early morning hours from somebody from the state police that said uh, Lynn Bias is dead.
1: On June 19th, 1986, Jeff Harding was a young prosecutor in the Maryland State's Attorney's Office.
3: At that time, the public didn't know it, but they had suspected that it was drug involved.
1: Harding was stunned, not as a prosecutor, but as a basketball fan.
3: I had, at the time, I still do have floor seats. Then it was Cole Fieldhouse. So I watched Bias play just about every home game. Saw him play against a young player from North Carolina called Michael Jordan, who he was better
1: than. So when Harding got the call, he wasn't immediately able to digest what he'd heard. I thought they were, they were making it up.
3: Yeah. And because I asked the captain or whoever it was, I said, are you kidding me? and he said i I wish i was Mm -hmm. now i knew that this was going to be big yeah and whether you realize it or not i told them the county police the state police whoever was there i said you don't understand who this guy is you're going to find out in a few hours yeah but this is the first round draft pick of the world champion boston Celtics, who's a superstar and this is going to come out later to be an overdose death, and it's going to have international repercussions.
1: From the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If? The Lynn Bias Story. I'm your host, Jordan Rittercon. Harding was right. In the hours after Bias' death, word spread quickly. There in the hospital, those who loved Bias tried to contend with their loss. And as news traveled, people around the country, some who knew Bias, but many more who didn't, started processing their own sense of shock. Mike Wilbon remembers getting a call from his colleague, Gary Pomerantz.
0: Gary said, you gotta sit down. I well, go, Gary, just tell me what you gotta say. And he said, no, you have to sit down. You have to sit down, you're gonna to need to sit down. Instead of just blowing him off, I sat wherever I was in my parents' basement. And he said, Len Bias just died. And no sentence has ever knocked me down more than that. Including a year earlier, your father has stage four cancer. That did not hit me as hard as Len Bias is dead. He died this morning.
1: Just a couple days earlier, John Sally had been sitting next to Bias at the draft. Now he was in Detroit after the Pistons selected him 11th overall, getting acclimated to a new city and beginning his NBA career. I wake up the next morning, Dennis Rodman's my roommate. Rodman had just been drafted by the Pistons too in the second round. Dennis is watching cartoons, of course.
0: And uh, then I wake up, he goes, hey man, something happened to the guy you were sitting with at the draft yesterday i said what do you mean he said he said he died i said what are you talking about he said it's all over the news so i changed the channel and that's what i see that's how i wake up dennis rodman tells me and i don't know how to act because we have our press conference this morning we got to go to the silver door we're taking pictures and it's our day but it's the worst day we still have to take the pictures we still have to get whatever but it's it felt like the day Michael Jackson died, is you know, the day Prince died, is there's nothing to talk about.
1: For Wilbon, it wasn't just that he knew bias. Remember, he covered him for The Post. It was what bias represented. Energy, potential, an air of indestructibility.
0: You know where you were when Lynn Bias died, like the previous generation, which I was part of too, five years old. Knew where you were when you got the news that President Kennedy had been assassinated. You're not equating the two personalities or people or their stations in life, but you're equating youth and seeming invincibility and just a dawning of a new time and your relationship to that generation, to that time. And I remember, so I remember everything about where I was in the aftermath of limb bias dying. You know, some days uh, when people start talking about it, I, I can't deal with it. I get more emotional about it now than I was then.
1: The public didn't yet know how Bias had died. It would be six days before a toxicology report came back.
0: Mr. Bias died of cocaine intoxication, which interrupted the normal electrical activity of his brain, which controlled his heartbeat.
1: The voice you just heard belonged to the state's chief medical examiner.
3: John Smilak friend of mine, he's now passed, but he handled the
1: case personally. Soon, state officials revealed that bias had not only done coke, but that the coke he'd ingested was frighteningly concentrated. The
3: state toxicologist informed me that it was um, like
1: 89% pure, which is just poison. Harding gave me a quick lesson on what typically happens to cocaine before it reaches the user. Envision
3: a ship pulling into the port of San Diego, where it comes in a lot, or Miami or Texas or wherever. Uh, It comes from various places like South America or the Golden Triangle in Afghanistan. And when it gets here, usually it's either a 100% pure or the guy that's bringing it here takes a little bit off and puts some filler on it.
1: Fillers can be baking soda or some other kind of powder. And as the Coke moves down the supply chain from high-level dealers to the streets, it gets stepped on, diluted with more and more filler at every step. So to
3: give you some perspective, the kids in the 70s and 80s that were doing Coke at every party you would go to had these little vials and they were, you know, with a little spoon on it. And that is about three to four percent
1: pure. So after learning that Bias did coke that was 89% pure, here's what Harding remembers the medical examiner telling him.
3: He said to me, Jeff, he said, if Bias would have been laying on the emergency room table after he ingested, there was nothing we could do.
1: So the central question became, where did the cocaine come from? In an effort to answer that, investigators turned to the three men who'd been doing coke with Bias that night. His Maryland teammates, Terry Long and David Gregg, and Brian Tribble. Tribble, if you remember, was Bias's friend. They'd met as high school kids and hung out around Maryland's campus, where Tribble had briefly been a student. Bias's teammate Keith Gatlin got to know Tribble a little bit.
4: Brian was, he was cool with me. He would always, be very cordial, hey guys, how you doing? Or, you know, is Lenny around? Or he would see Lenny and stuff like that.
1: Two days after Bias's death, police said they were looking into whether Tribble had visited a popular drug market in the D.C. projects. In July, they charged Tribble with distribution of cocaine.
2: Police sources say it's believed that Tribble gave drugs to Bias as a gift. Sources say police are looking into the possibility that sometime before his death, Tribble and Bias traveled into Washington and that there was a drug transaction at the intersection of Montana and New York Avenue's Northeast.
1: Press and investigators paid a lot of attention to whether Tribble was a drug dealer, but there's an important point to be made here. Tribble didn't have to be a dealer to be convicted of cocaine distribution. Here's Harding.
3: So, if I have a joint right now, a marijuana joint, and I give it to you, that's distribution. Typically, on the street, you're gonna buy that joint from me. Right. You're gonna pull up in your car, and you're gonna say, I need a joint, Mr. Harding. I say, I got one rolled up, it's $5. Good shit, you give me the $5, I give you the joint. Yeah. That's the distribution that the average person thinks about. But distribution is literally giving it to somebody else. Yeah. So distribution is, in the triple setting, is bringing the cocaine there and giving it to Bias. That's distributing it. I mean, it's as simple as can be.
1: Tribble pleaded not guilty and denied the charges. That September, he told the Baltimore Sun, quote, I did not supply the drugs. Then he specifically referenced the coke police found in Bias's car, saying, quote, I did not put the cocaine in the car. I did not have any connection with the cocaine in the car. Tribble was facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted. He enlisted Thomas Morrow, a defense attorney. Morrow soon came to understand how badly the public needed someone to blame for Bias' death. But Morrow saw an increasingly apparent truth. In the 80s, cocaine was everywhere.
5: Reality suggests that that was just the way it was in 1986 and for many years before and no doubt for many years after. Celebrations involving many college students involved... Alcohol and illicit substances, if you will. Clearly, if you were an athlete, you weren't smoking. You probably weren't drinking to the level that other college people were drinking. But to suggest that drugs uh, were unknown and foreign to athletes was just total willful blindness. Drugs were around. Everybody saw them.
1: More worried that defending Tribble could sometimes feel like he'd be prosecuting Bias. And in a state still reeling from their hero's death, that was the last thing he wanted to do.
5: My big concern was that the prosecution was going to indicate that Len Bias knew nothing about drugs, that the Maryland basketball team knew nothing about drugs. And uh, here this satanic figure came in Uh, with a uh, pocket full of cocaine and led them down the uh, primrose path to their ultimate destruction.
1: Another central question, how often did Bias use cocaine? Some people insist to this day that this must have been his first time. Lefty Drizell, Bias's coach at Maryland, remains at the top of that list.
4: My contention is that Leonard was never
0: on drugs. That was the first time he'd ever used it. And I have had Nobody tell me different. I've asked all the players on that team. Did you know he was smoking pot or cocaine, or had you ever heard anything about it?
1: Keith Gatlin says Bias and others were definitely around drugs, but he never saw Bias use them.
4: For me, and I've stated this from day one, I've never seen Lenny do drugs. I went out with Lenny thousands of times. I never saw any drugs. People came around. Obviously, when you're athlete, a lot of guys who are doing things like that negative are the first persons to tell you, I don't want to catch you around this, stay away from this, you have a future.
1: John Sally, who told the story a couple episodes ago about bias refusing to drink at a Playboy party, holds on to this belief too. I do believe that was Lenny's first time. I
0: might be naive, but uh, there are some telltale signs of people. We'll get high.
1: Trial testimony stated otherwise. Terry Long testified, quote, Lynn Bias introduced me to Coke. Again, the original trial transcript has been destroyed, but the book Never Too Young to Die by Lewis Cole quotes heavily from the proceedings. Long continued, quote, Lenny knew I had smoked marijuana before. One time he knocked on my door and he had a dollar bill and he said, try this. Cole writes that Long testified that Bias had given him cocaine five times before and that Tribble had only been with them twice. While there's no way to know how many times Bias actually used, Harding told me one thing was clear.
3: There wasn't any evidence that indicated that Bias was a, other than a social drug user. He wasn't a heavy drug user. He wasn't a... Somebody that uses cocaine, you can look at their autopsy and tell in 30 seconds. Yeah. It destroys the inside of your body. It destroys your nasal cavity. It destroys your throat.
6: Yeah.
3: Um, it was a social drug. It was yeah. like, let's go have a drink. Yeah, Let's go do a line. Yeah. So, in my mind, there wasn't any evidence that Bias was a, an addict or habitual user or anything like yeah. that.
1: None. Still, when Long took the stand, he testified that, personally, he'd never seen as much of the drug as he did on the night before Bias's death. Long and Greg's testimony left Tom Morrow, the defense attorney, feeling a little nervous.
5: Certainly they were not helpful to the defense <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination.
1: They testified that Tribble brought the cocaine into the room. They also testified that they had realized that night that Bias was maybe doing a bit too much.
5: They talked about how Uh, Lenny had consumed a a large amount of cocaine and, and to the point that people were suggesting maybe he back off a little bit.
1: I really wanted to talk about all of this with Terry Long. I found a number that I thought might be his, but when I tried it, I got a generic sounding answering machine and never got a call back. So when I was in Maryland in May, I stopped by his house a few times without success, until one afternoon when I saw a woman in the driveway unloading groceries. We will see if anyone is...
2: Then the destination is on your right. Uh,
5: Looks like someone is.
1: Excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am. Hi. I'm, I'm really sorry to bother you. It was Terry's wife. Her name is Lisa. Hi. Um, my name is Jordan Kahn. I am a journalist. I work for Spotify. And I am hoping to interview Terry Sr. for a project I'm working on. And, and I, I was just stopping by to see if he is home and uh, if I could ask him if he'd be, if he'd be willing to, to sit down with me and talk. Terry wasn't home, so I gave her my card, and afterward, we stood there in the driveway talking for a few minutes. She said she'd been friends with Bias, too. She remembered him as someone who loved to laugh, who loved to eat. They were close enough that when she and Terry had their first daughter in 1985, they named Bias as her godfather. Terry Long testified at the trial, but other than that, he's never really spoken publicly about that night. So when I didn't hear from him after a few days, I tried one more time. This time, he answered. Hi, sir. How are you? He's tall, bald, with a gray beard. He was wiping his eyes as if he'd just woken up from a nap. He said he was good and asked how I was doing. I'm doing all right. My, my name is... Uh, I'm Jordan. I'm Jordan Rittercon. I'm sorry to drop by and... He already knew who I was. He said his wife mentioned me. And then he said, politely but firmly, that he wasn't interested in talking. I asked if I could have 30 seconds to kind of make my case. And he said, no, I'm good, he said, I appreciate it. And then he closed the door and that was it. It's understandable. It's been 35 years and this has to be a painful memory. So I decided not to press any further. We'll be right back.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details.
1: Back at the trial, soon after Long and Greg's testimony, the jury went into deliberations. They came back within a matter of hours. The jury didn't feel there was enough evidence to convict. The verdict, not guilty. Here's Morrow again.
5: Needless to say, I was elated. Brian and his family were elated as well, but I think the best adjective I can think of with Brian is that he was shocked, or he was in shock anyway. If not, I don't mean shocked by the verdict, but he was in shock that that it was finally over.
1: When I visited Jeff Harding, the prosecutor, in his office this May, he still had a courtroom sketch of the tribal trial hanging on his wall. And interestingly, while so many people I've talked to pointed to Tribble's trial as evidence of how badly the public needed to assign blame, Harding said almost the opposite.
3: Tribble was acquitted, and I think he was acquitted because you're in Prince George's County, where the University of Maryland is. Most of the people that are around here working are graduates. And these are the people who watched their precious University of Maryland brought to its knees mm-hmm. and, and their god, Lefty Tersel, and their god, Len Bias. They weren't going to convict Tribble for bringing cocaine in and celebrate into a room of anything. Yeah, yeah. And that turned out to be prophetic and true. So you have to balance
1: all that. I wanted to talk to Tribble badly. He lives in D.C., I called him last fall in the early days of this project, and he said he wasn't interested in speaking. But when I went to DC, it felt like I needed to try again. To hear his reflections on this chapter in his life, to hear about his friendship with Bias, about his grief after Bias' death, and to hear about his experience in 1990 when he pleaded guilty to a conspiracy to distribute cocaine charge in a different case. In a story that year in the Washington Post, federal drug officials said that Tribble had become a major player in the D.C. drug world, specifically because he'd beaten his charges in the wake of Bias' death. A DEA agent, Veronica Baker, told the Post, quote, drug dealers thought he was safe. He was a dealer who wouldn't turn. He had people from all over the country calling him to make deals. But that was decades ago. Now, Tribble works as a personal trainer, One evening, I pulled up to his home.
2: All right, let's go see. Call
1: Mallory Rubin. Hello. Oh
0: boy. Oh no. What happened?
1: This is my editor, Mallory. Um, I mean, he was there. Uh, there was a lot of noise. It was hard for me to hear him. Um, but he... I knocked. There was a dog barking. All the lights were off. You know, could see a figure walking to the door through the window. He opened the door like less than an inch. Said, who is it? I said who I was. He said, you should not be here. Then he said, I told you no, I mean no. And he, I mean, as much as he could slam the door given it was only open less than an inch, (laughs) uh, he slammed the door. So that was it. I never got to hear firsthand Tribble's memories of that night. For a while, Tribble was known to give the occasional interview. Back in 2009, he even did an AMA with ESPN.com. One person asked if Tribble felt at any point responsible for Bias' death. Just the opposite, he said. I felt like it was tragic, and I didn't have a lot of time to grieve because I was going through an attack of not just the justice system, but the media. It was a terrible time to go through in my life. I did talk to someone who knew Tribble pretty well. Derek Curry. He was a good friend of Jay Bias, Lynn's younger brother, and he was briefly in the dorm that night before Lynn and Tribble and the others started using cocaine. After Lynn died, while so many blamed Tribble, Curry and Jay both remained close to him.
6: Of course, you know, hindsight, me being young, Jay being young, we knew what Brown Tribble was into, but we knew a different Brown Tribble from the standpoint of a good person. He never brought any harm around us or anything illegal around me and Jay, you know, he would make sure we had money in our pockets, you know, to go to the movies and get something to eat. I mean, nothing major. I mean, he'd get us a pair of tennis shoes here and there, but, you know, nothing, nothing major. And after Lenny died, a lot of people weren't happy about the fact that me and Jay were still associated with Brian. And yeah, things changed, but we were still in contact. And I think. Brian felt a sort of man, I feel bad what happened to Lynn so I want to make sure Jay is kind of straight sort of mm-hmm. thing um, and not everybody agreed with that not everybody liked it because of the situation surrounding
1: right. Lynn's death Did they a lot of people you know obviously he went on trial they they blamed him they blamed him but you
6: know um after everything came out, you know you really couldn't blame him blame him. Um, at the end of the day, and I've thought about this after I've grown up, they weren't kids, but they weren't adult adults either Sure. back then. I mean, people think like, oh man, but Lennon was only 22 years old. Yeah. So technically they weren't grown men. They were just making bad decisions. Yeah. I mean, and we've all made bad decisions. That decision was, was just more costly. Right. So from that standpoint, you know, um, I know Brian personally. Mm -hmm. I know Lynn personally. I know Brian would never do anything intentionally to harm or hurt Lenny. I know the bond that they had.
1: After Long and Tribble refused to speak with me, there was only one more person I could talk to about the details of that night. David Gregg. I went by his house too, but never got him. Derek Curry is friends with Greg, and he reached out on my behalf, but Greg told him he wasn't interested in talking. After it became clear that, in addition to Tribble, neither Greg nor Long were going to talk to me, I called Mallory again. And so, you know, like, at this point, like, I could go to Greg's house again, but honestly, like... I don't know. You know, like, it, it's not like, like, if these were people yeah. in positions of power and we were doing an investigative yeah. story that was trying to hold them to account, yeah. and like, the thing that I really, really believe is, like, you have to. Part of the re- way you can get people to tell you things about terrible things that happen in their lives is if you let them know that it is fully okay for them not to say anything they don't want to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, of course. Agreed. In this case, it's just like. So I never got to hear what it's like for these three men now, all these years later. I never got the answer to a nagging question about the cocaine that night. If it was the purity, 89%, that killed bias, why were the others okay? I called Harding after our initial interview to ask about that, and he said that question was never clearly resolved. I don't know how often Long, Greg, and Tribble think about bias how the trauma of that night and the months that followed imprinted itself on their lives. In this job, I interview a lot of people about terrible things, and I never know what to expect. Sometimes the more time goes by, the more eager they are to revisit those memories. Others bury a memory somewhere deep, somewhere they hope they'll never have to access. I can't say what any of these three men are feeling. I just know they didn't want to talk, at least not to me, at least not right now. For Tribble, Long, and Greg, the attention they received immediately after Bias' death was remarkably intense. But they weren't the only ones. At the same time, the press and the public also scrutinized others in Bias' orbit. In particular, the University of Maryland's legendary head coach, Lefty Drizell. Next on What If? Lefty Giselle was another guy that was sort of perfect representation of Maryland.
4: I think Lefty was ahead of his time because he connected with us. So when he had to, you know, bring the hammer down or whatever, we knew it was coming from a good place.
0: Hey, hold it, hold
4: it. Let's say I Check.
1: did. Soda, bring what? What If The Lynn Bias Story is written and reported by me, Jordan Ritter-Kahn. Story editing by Mallory Rubin. Our producers are Mallory Rubin, Noah Malalay, Bobby Wagner, Hannah Beal, and Isaac Lee. With production assistance by Isaiah Blakely. Music and sound design by Isaac Lee. Copy editing was done by Craig Gaines and fact-checking by Kellen B. Coates. David Shoemaker designed our logo. Thanks for listening.